Hey, thank you so much for being with us this morning. I really do mean that. We're so grateful that you've joined us this morning for already a great time of worship and uh, going to get into his word, which I'm looking forward to. If you're joining us online, we uh, also want to say thank you for, for being with us. And again, if this is your first time, um, we're so grateful and we count it an honor and a privilege that you are here and we would love to connect with you and tell you about what we're about and how you can jump into that if you are willing. So we would love to get that opportunity. Otherwise, sit back and enjoy, enjoy God's presence and, and what he's trying to speak into your heart. But um, we are going to continue our series today called The Power of Perspective. We have been in this now for about five weeks where we've been just really trying to hone in on what, what a good and right perspective really is. And, and ultimately, our objective is to really understand what a godly perspective is. Because if we can live that way, if we can operate within that, then we have all confidence that we're going to be right where we need to be. And so we've been getting into some topics that hopefully are allowing us to, to walk down that path, to truly look through that lens that he has for us. And we're going to continue that this morning. If you were here last week, you know that we started a, a three-parter, kind of a mini-series within the whole series that's centered all around the perspective of the Apostle Paul. And if you've been around here any time at all, you've probably heard us talk about this man before. He was a, a great man of God, somebody who was very prevalent throughout the New Testament. And and somebody that we think we can glean a lot of wisdom and perspective from. And in particular, what we really, really wanted to do is try to understand some perspective that he shows us in one of his particular writings in the New Testament. Now, Paul is attributed with writing 13 of the 27 books in our New Testament, which is, is quite a bit. But there's one in particular that gives us some really special wisdom and insight especially as it relates to the topic of perspective, and that is the book of Philippians. And so last week, what we did is we started by talking about some of the history, some of the background of this particular book of the Bible, namely that it was simply a letter that Paul wrote to the church in a city called Philippi. Okay, that's what this is. Now, Philippi was a, a small little city within the greater region of Macedonia at this time. And it was a place that, that Paul initially visited during his second recorded missionary journey. Okay, but interestingly enough, it was not a place that he was actually planning on visiting. Scripture tells us that during this missionary journey, he was actually in a neighboring city and he got this vision of a man from this area who was asking for help. And so we read that immediately Paul and his companions, they got up and they headed off to Philippi to see what God was up to. First off, just amazing obedience and submission to just, okay, this is where you want to take us. This is where we're going. Now, Paul and his friends only stayed in Philippi for about three months during this initial visit. But even in that short amount of time, um, some pretty important things happened while they were there. Namely, it connected Paul with a woman by the name of Lydia. 
Now, Lydia was simply a local merchant at this time in this region, so nothing really special about that, except for the fact that she would later become the first recorded European convert of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's a pretty cool historical relevance there. And in fact, if your lineage goes back to European descent, you should probably be very thankful for this little trip to, to Philippi that Paul took. But as we fast forward past this, after his initial visit there, and after he continues to grow in his relationship with them, at this point, he decides that he wants to write them a letter. This is about 12 years after his first visit. And and so he writes them a letter and it's a letter with a very specific purpose, that being to show his appreciation uh, for everything that they've done for him. Because throughout the, the years, they have given him so much love. They've given him so much strength. They've even supported him financially. And so he wants them to know how much he appreciates that. And so as we look at the book of Philippians today, we understand that ultimately what we're reading is a missionary thank you letter from Paul to the people of Philippi. That's, that's what this is. But as we discussed last week, it certainly wasn't your ordinary run-of-the-mill thank you letter because much to our surprise, despite the, the gratitude that he shows in it and de- despite the optimism that we see in it, it was written by a man who was actively sitting in prison. As Paul writes this letter to these people, he finds himself shackled to a prison cell in the city of Rome. This was the circumstance, the situation that he was in as he puts pen to paper. Now, given the unbelievable circumstances that Paul was in as he wrote this letter, last week we started by talking about some of the things that must have been going through his head at this particular time, right? As I would imagine, this was a man who was fighting through disappointment, fighting through pain, fighting through frustration. And so what I wondered to myself was what questions might he have been pondering as he's sitting in his prison cell? What what questions were circulating through the mind of Paul as he was in this situation? And the first question that I could see him asking himself was, do I still trust God? This is what we talked about last week. Do, Do I still believe that God is in control? Do I still trust that he really knows what he's doing? And so we walk through some of the ways that Paul actually answers this question through his letter to the Philippians. And ultimately what we discovered is that through his confidence, through his contentment, and through his commitment, his trust remains secure in God. Even as he was going through one of the craziest times of his life, his trust remained strong because of these things. He was confident that God knew exactly what he was doing. Therefore, he had contentment in his circumstance and he always remained committed regardless of what was going on. His trust remained secure. And so as we turn the page into our message this morning, I wanted to to start by discussing the next question that might have been circulating through the mind of the Apostle Paul. Now that he has come to the conclusion that his trust is where it needs to be, what is like the next checklist item? What's the next thing that is running through his head at this point? And here's where I think he ultimately landed. Now that I know my trust is where it needs to be, now that I have this foundation laid out, the next question that I need to ask myself is, do I have the right attitude? Do I have the right attitude. As I find myself in this crazy situation of my life, do I have the the attitude and the mindset that I need to have? I think this is a 
a question that we probably need to ask ourselves more often than we do, especially during the tough seasons of life, even as we're in the middle of a bad day. Do I have, am I maintaining the right attitude? And so this is what we're gonna discuss for the rest of our time this morning. Now on the surface, this might seem like a, a pretty trivial question to ask yourself. It may not seem all that significant on the surface, but as we look to Paul's letter to the Philippians, we quickly realize that this is something that is a lot more important than we may initially think. Because the concept of attitude in the original language here goes far beyond an outward expression, like we might think, and, and into this inward mentality. In fact, one of the more common translations of the word attitude in the New Testament was to set your mind upon something. So when Paul uses this phrase in this letter, what he's really driving at is, what are you setting your mind upon? What is your mindset? In fact, I saw a definition of attitude that said this, attitude is ultimately a collection of the dominant thoughts in your head. In other words, whatever dominates your mind is gonna determine your attitude. And this is why in another letter that Paul writes, he says this, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because here's what he's saying, as long as obedience to Christ dominates your mind, it will most certainly determine your attitude. Whatever dominates your mind determines your attitude. Now, it certainly seems fitting that we would talk about this topic during a series on perspective, given how closely related the two are. But what might even be more important is to understand the distinction between these two. Because what we see as we dig into these concepts is that attitude has a much closer relationship to action than perspective does. So what I mean by that is while perspective impacts how we look at things, attitude more impacts how we do things. Okay, that's, that's the distinction. And if you've ever been on the job before and you've just kind of observed how different people go about their work, you, you probably have seen this before. Attitude makes all the difference in the world, right? So much of it really does come down to that. In fact, Ralph Marston once famously said this, excellence is not a skill, it's an attitude. In other words, attitude is what's ultimately gonna determine your growth. It's gonna determine your success. It's gonna determine your productivity. That's how important this concept is. And yet here's the difficulty with this concept. Much of your attitude is operating solely in your subconscious mind, which means far too often we're not aware nor are we intentional with how we approach our attitude. Many people would call this going on mental autopilot like where we allow the preset functions of our brain to just determine how we act and, and how we live and how we respond to, the, to things. And so oftentimes what happens is rather than being kind and loving and positive like we hope to be, we autopilot back to pride and selfishness and discontent. This happens so easily for us. And so the first question is, what, what do we do about that? Like how, how exactly can we start here? And so for this one, let's look at the letter that Paul wrote to Ephesus. This is Ephesians chapter four, verse 20. He gives us some really good information here. He says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. 
If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So Paul says this, if you truly want to have an attitude change, do this. Allow Christ to renew your mind by laying down the old corrupted self and putting on the new righteous self. That's what he says. In fact, he puts it this way in Romans 12 too. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. So in other words, what Paul is saying here is don't allow the autopilot function to pull you back to this earthly carnal mindset. Instead, allow Christ to to transform you into his way of thinking. That's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. In fact, it's really interesting, this word renewing, renewing of your mind can also be translated as renovation. So we could read, be transformed by the renovation of your mind. So it's really interesting because Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 really at the heart of it have the same premise. And that is that that we have to like pull up and get rid of this old tainted mindset and we have to put on the new renovated mindset that Christ gives us. This is where we have to begin. But here's the thing. At this point in Paul's ministry, he's now writing to a group of Christians that he presumes have already done these things. So so they are taking every thought captive to Christ. They are being transformed by the renewing of their minds. And so now Paul wants to dive in a little bit deeper with them. And so at this point, he's gonna begin to give them some, some more practical help, like some daily, even moment by moment wisdom on how they can have a mindset that is truly Christ-like. And so with that in mind, there are three different attitudes that I think Paul is looking to address throughout this letter, which will allow us to to be stronger in our daily walk, but but will also help us as the obstacles of life inevitably come our way, because we know that that's going to happen. And and again, let me remind you of the circumstances that Paul is in as he writes these very words. And so in his situation, this is the first attitude that Paul prescribes, and that is, do nothing from selfishness. Do nothing from from selfishness. This is the the mindset, this is the attitude that we need to have if we're truly going to be effective followers of Christ. And I'm gonna show you in a second why I've put it this way, but this concept is certainly the first attitude adjustment that Paul is trying to show us. And that is just stop being so selfish, right? Stop stop being so self-consumed in your outlook. In fact, we talk about this often around here, which I think is, is necessary because selfishness truly is the root of so many of the issues in our lives. I'm I'm telling you, this is a core problem for us. In fact, the next time that you find yourself with like this really bad, nasty attitude, I would encourage you to stop and like trace that back to the beginning. Really, Really figure out where it started. And I can almost guarantee you that it's ultimately coming from a place of selfishness. That's how prevalent this is, whether you're on the job, whether you're with your family, whether you're with your friends, when it's all about you, inevitably your bad attitude will surface. I promise you. And so Paul's advice, even as he's in the situation that he's in, is do nothing from selfishness. Do nothing from selfishness. This is the attitude that we should have. Now, what's interesting about this advice from Paul 
is that the idea of being selfless, especially in a rough season of life, almost seems a little bit counterintuitive to me. Because I think for so many of us, when we find ourselves in these moments, our initial reaction is, is to kind of retreat and isolate, right? In fact, we've probably all heard or maybe even said ourselves, you know, right now, I just really need to focus on myself, right? I, I really need to figure out my stuff and, and see what the next steps are. But as odd as it might sound, this introspective, reclusive mode of recovery isn't the approach that we should most often take, according to scripture and according to science. As I was studying this over the course of the week, I found some really interesting information on the topic of selfless recovery. And the concept is simply this, that the process of healing and recovering is actually best done through the practice of selflessness and generosity. In other words, the more that we help others, the more we help ourselves. And there was one study in particular that I thought was really, really helpful. This one was done by Research Med. And this is what they did. It was a, a three-week study. And over the course of these three weeks, they examined the actions and responses of people who were participating in an online platform that was designed for practicing social regulation of emotion. So in other words, they were viewing people who were using connection and relationship to get through their issues in life. And what they found was really interesting. And that was that the individuals who were more engaged in helping others experienced much greater growth and healing themselves. In fact, by the end of this testing period, the results showed that the helpers, those who helped more, experienced higher levels of gratitude and happiness, showed greater decreases in their own anxiety, and also learned how to more effectively work through their issues as they move forward. In fact, the medical workers ultimately concluded this. This is really cool. The results here showed that the process of helping others predicted better emotional and cognitive outcomes for those participants who were giving the help. Moreover, because heightened levels of self-focused attention are common in depression, the more people helped others, the more their helping behavior predicted a reduction in their own depression. This finding suggests that when we provide emotional support to others, we may enhance our own regulatory skills, improve our own emotional well-being, and experience better psychological outcomes for ourselves. Bottom line, selflessness truly does lead to healing. And if we go back to this letter that Paul writes to the Philippians, I think you're gonna see some consistency between these test results and the advice that Paul ultimately throws our way. So let's go to chapter two, verse three. And right out of the gate, you should be very familiar with this first line. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Verse five, and this is huge. Have this attitude, there's that word, this, this mindset, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this attitude in yourselves, 
which was also in Christ Jesus. Side note, if you wanna do a daily attitude check, I might highlight this, I might circle this, I might go back to this every morning of your life to get you centered where you need to be. But let's dig into this for a second because I think Paul is trying to show us some really good concepts here. So let's start in verse four where he says this. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, I I like the practicality of this advice from Paul because he doesn't discount that you need to look out for yourself sometimes, right? He, He doesn't discount that. There are times, there are aspects of life where this is necessary. Even for survival sometimes, this is necessary. But what he immediately calls out is don't just look out for yourself, look out for others as well. Now, when Paul says, look out for the interests of others, listen, this is a completely open-ended statement that Paul makes. In other words, he's not pointing to anything in particular. This could include finances. This could include possessions. This could include family. This could include health and reputation and success. It could include all of that. And in this open-endedness, Paul says, don't just look out for yourself in these matters. Look out for others as well. So so catch that. Look look out for other people's finances. Look out for other people's family. Look out for other people's success. This is the mindset that we should have. In fact, one of my favorite quotes on this is from John Piper, and he said this, make the good of others the focus of your interest and strategy and work. Think about that perspective. Make the good of others the focus of your interest and strategy and work. This is the mindset that we should have. Now, let's go back to verse three for a second because I think he's gonna give us even more clarity through this statement. And this is what he said. He said, with humility of mind, so Paul brings in the mind again, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Now, this is a, a huge one. And the language here is very important because Paul is not saying, hey, I want you to look up to the people that have really earned it in your life like the people that you love and respect and revere. I really want you to look up to them and treat them accordingly. No, what Paul is saying is count people worthy of your love and attention, whether you think they deserve it or not. Regardless of what they have or haven't done for you, regard them as more important than yourself. Now now think about that, that attitude and how much that could change the way that we walk daily. Think about the change and, and how, according to Paul, can we accomplish this? Well, with humility with a great deal of humility, if we can simply humble ourselves and just realize that we are not the end-all, be-all, we we are not all things at all times, then we can actually have this mindset and this attitude. I, I read this and it helped me. It said, humility is the opposite of entitlement. While entitlement says you deserve this, humility says you get this regardless of merit. And immediately when I read this, I thought to myself, this is why we are called to have this attitude as followers of Christ, because this is the exact attitude that he has toward us. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means when we had zero merit, that means when we least deserved it, Christ freely gave up his life for us. And see, this is why Paul, after giving us this practical advice, he immediately says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. He, like he's the one leading the way in this mindset. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, was made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself even to the point of death. 
the Son of God was obedient, even to the point of death. Like, can you just think about the attitude of Christ? Can you just think about the mindset that he has? And this is why we should adopt the same thing. Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. If we can adopt this attitude, I promise you we are going to be so much better off across the board. We can't, we can't be selfish in this life. Amen? Let's move to the second attitude that I think Paul shows us. And this is, um, this is a really practical one, but it's so important. And I think we really need to be given to this more often than we are. But we need to have a mindset that says, I'm willing to, to lean on other people. I want to have the attitude to where like, I'm willing to, to lean on other people, to get strength and, and courage from other people. And I'm not going to spend too much time here because I, I think this is pretty self-explanatory, but I'll just say this much here. I think every one of us has fallen into this trap before, um, especially when we're going through a tough season of our life, because let's just be honest about it. We don't like having to rely on other people. We, we don't like having to be vulnerable and, and rely on other people to carry our weight. In fact, I said it earlier, but we like to, to you know, figure it all out and carry the weight of it, or we don't want to be a nuisance to other people. But listen to me, the truth of the matter is, whether you like it or not, we need one another. Amen. We need one another. And the more that we shy away from this, the deeper and deeper into our struggles we're going to get. Like the more we push other people away, the deeper in struggle we're gonna get. And the thing that I love about Paul's perspective is as he's sitting in prison here, you can almost hear like this desperate desire for relationship and community. Like he's, he's starving for it. It's like somebody on a deserted island without food and water. He's just like dying for some human connection, right? And in this mode, watch what he says in chapter one, verse 27. He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now just think on that for a second. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now there's a lot in there, but I love the way that he lays out some of these concepts because he starts by, by saying, I want you to stand firm in one spirit. Which, which has a very um, defensive connotation to it. Like he's saying, stand strong, guard yourselves, hold one another up. It's a, it's a very defensive strategy. But then he immediately says, with one mind, strive together. And so now he's bringing some offense into it. So don't just link arms and play defense, but I want you to charge forward. I want you to advance the gospel. I want you to make a difference in this world. I, I love how he hits it from both angles. But let me show you one more way that he shows us this concept. And, and I really got a lot out of this myself, but most of us know um, Philippians 4.13 pretty well. Many of us could probably quote it off the top of our heads. But what's interesting is we very rarely pay attention to what Paul says next. We hold verse 13 like in high esteem and then we just kind of move past it immediately. But watch what Paul says, starting with verse 13. This will sound familiar. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the one we love. That's the one that we proclaim. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Watch what verse 14 says. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. So, so Paul is saying, I can do all things through God. I really can, but man, I'm so grateful that you shared with me in my affliction. See, so often I think we get into this mode where we wanna take on the world and we wanna fight through all the adversity ourselves. And we don't realize that sometimes Christ is trying to strengthen us through other people. 
Like we look at Philippians 4.13 and we think that means we got to carry the weight of the world. It says the exact opposite. He's saying, trust in me. Trust that other people can help you in this process. We have to be more willing to do this, guys. We get ourselves in so much trouble trying to retreat and, and isolate. We need to rely on one another. This is why scripture says, bear one another's burdens. Confess your sins to one another. Like there's a depth and a vulnerability here that we must be given to if we're gonna maintain the right attitude, okay? And this is what leads us to the third and final mindset that Paul shows us. And I think this is the most important one, at least for our day-to-day perspective. Like I really think we need to be given to this. And that is if we're gonna have the right mindset, we have to remain focused on what matters most, if we're gonna have the right mindset, if, if we're gonna have the right attitude, we have to do a better job of being focused on what matters most. Now, I don't know if anybody realizes this or not, but we are some of the most unfocused people that have ever lived. I mean, we, we really truly are. We, we lose focus so easily. We allow it to jump from one thing to the next. And believe it or not, this lack of concentration is one of the biggest things that leads to our bad attitude. It really is. Because one of the healthiest and most beneficial things that you can do on an everyday basis is just focus on what matters most. Just just like center yourself on the purpose. Connect yourself what is truly most valuable. Because listen, once that storm comes into your life and it's gonna come, you're, you're gonna have to be centered on something. And if you're centered on the right things, That's what's gonna allow you to move past the pain. It's gonna allow you to move past the confusion and truly stay on the track that you need to be. And this might be one of the most obvious things that Paul shows us in this letter. And so let's start in chapter three, verse 15. He says this, let those of us who are mature think this way. Let those of us who are mature think this way. That phrase, think this way, is the word attitude in the Greek. So so have this attitude, have this mindset. What mindset is that? Well, he answers it in verse 10. He says, that I may know him. Mm. This, This is the mindset that we need to have, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's the mindset that we need to have. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One of the most beautiful scriptures you'll ever read. Listen to me, if you wanna know what mindset you need to have, if you wanna know what your focus needs to be, this is it right here. Paul answers it, he lays it right before us, that you may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's what you should set your mind upon, that you would be willing to share in his sufferings and, and attain to be with him one day. That should be your mindset, that you would forget what lies behind and charge forward to what lies ahead of you. That should be your attitude. This should be our mindset to focus on him and our future with him. See, the best thing that you can do for your attitude 
And I don't care if, if, if things are going great for you or, or if you're going through something right now, it doesn't matter. Every single day of your life, the best thing you can do is center yourself in Christ. That's the best thing that you can do. Make him the priority of your attention. Make him the focus of your affection. Make him the object of your worship. The best thing you can do is center yourself in him. And I think all of us would have to be honest as we survey our lives to say, we struggle with that. We so easily lose focus. We so easily put other things ahead of him. And then we wonder why we have a bad attitude because we're not focusing on what matters most. We're not centered where we need to be. So here's what I would like to do as we end this morning. I'd like to, to practice this. I would like to just focus on him, center ourselves in him. In fact, I would encourage you to stay seated and, and, and maybe just close your eyes and just like, just like fall into him. I don't know what's going on in your life. Like I said, I mean, things might be going great for you, but you also may have carried something into this place that you don't know what to do with, that you're struggling with, you're stressed about, you're anxious about. I promise you the best thing you can do regardless just center yourself in him. To soak in his presence, to fall into his love and grace. Whatever you need to do to accomplish that, I encourage you. I implore you to do that. Heavenly Father, right now I pray. I pray that you would help us, God. I'm asking for your help. You would truly focus us in on you through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Focus us in on you. That every day of our lives, you would truly be the priority. You would truly be the, the focus of our affection. Like we couldn't go another minute. We couldn't go another hour with just thanking you, with just worshiping you, with just thinking on you. God, I pray that you would move in us and stir in us and in that type of way, just draw us closer and closer to you. Make us more and more like you. God, we truly want to be given to you. God, we truly